My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. We're going to continue our sermon series called All Grown Up. Really, what we're talking about is putting some definition to a, a sort of an ambiguous topic. You, you see, something we all want or, or something that we all probably should want or something that we, we strive for, but it's hard to define and hard to know exactly how we're doing it. It's personal growth. To become a better person, to learn how to cultivate and grow the better parts of us and make them better, and to root out the worst parts of us and to take them from weakness and make them into a strength. And this concept, it extends to our walk with Jesus as well. We, we want to be growing. To, to use a church term, we want to work on our spiritual growth. And there's lots of things that we can look at as markers of spiritual growth. There are things like, like spiritual disciplines, like... Prayer. Am I praying more than I used to? Reading my Bible. Am I reading my Bible more? Am I digging in deeper? Maybe, maybe I'm not reading more verses. Maybe I'm reading less verses, but I'm, I'm really digging into it. There's fasting. But we don't need to talk about that one. Or maybe, maybe we do. But is it our ability to hear God's voice? Am I hearing God's voice more clearly now? Or, or is, it, is it becoming less clear? Our willingness to step out in faith. Am I more willing now to do something that God has asked me to do or less willing? But of all of those things, as we, as we look at all the different ways that we can categorize our spiritual growth, as we grow in them, there's, there's one constant that should be showing up in our lives. The more we read the Bible, the more we, we pray, the more we step out in faith, the more we can hear God's voice, as we're growing up in our faith, the fruit, the overflow of the growth in our faith should be the fruit of the Spirit. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend in the Word, the more we should become like Jesus. The more loving we will become, the more peaceful we will become, the more kind, the more self-controlled, the more patient, just like Jesus is. That the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend trying to grow in Jesus, the overflow should be the more we become like Jesus. See, too often we can look at things like the fruit of the Spirit these emotions or feelings, when, when this is all they are, when, when we look at the, our lives and we look at the fruit of the Spirit, too often we can think about our lives like a thermometer. But when the Holy Spirit grows these things, as we grow, we mature in the fruit of the Spirit, they need not to be a thermometer, they need to be a thermostat. See, a thermometer reacts to what's happening around it. A thermometer tells you what's happening. A thermometer looks at what's going around on around you and says, this is it. This is what the temperature is. But a thermostat 
dictates what's happening. A thermostat says this is the temperature we want it to be. That regardless of how hot or cold it is in here, this is what it's going to be. It's not what is, it's what's going to be. A, therm a thermometer reads the temperature. So maybe what's happening around you is allowing you to feel more loving, to feel more faithful. The things that are going on around you are what is causing you to feel like I feel like I feel more love. But a thermostat doesn't just read the temperature, it changes it. It says what's happening right now isn't what I want it to be, but I'm going to find a way to change it to what I think that it needs to be. That, that we wouldn't look around and say, my circumstance makes me feel more kind. But that we would look around and say, all of this circumstance, I don't want to be kind. But the overflow of the Holy Spirit in my life is that I'm going to find a way to be kind. And so as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, this is what spiritual growth looks like. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. Want to know if you're growing? Are you more loving than you were? Are you more kind? Do you encourage more peace than you used to? Are you growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And last week we talked about how if the answer to that question is, well, no, but, but look at all these other things I'm doing. Paul shows us in 1 Corinthians 13 that if the fruit isn't a part of it, it's not as important as we think it is. Our growth is shown in our fruit. And now this week, we're going to talk about the second fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about joy. Do you have the joy in your life that you want to see? Now before we get too far into this, we need to talk about joy for a moment. Because joy is an interesting word. See, joy is seen like an emotion or a feeling. I'm feeling, right, I'm feeling joy right now. This brings me joy. See, we can get so easily get joy and happiness mixed up and think that they're the same thing. But happiness is based on happenstance. What are my circumstances telling me to feel right now? But joy isn't circumstantial. Joy isn't what happens as a result of our circumstances. Joy is what happens to our circumstances. We don't feel joy because of our circumstances. We imprint joy on our circumstances. And this is what we're really going to be diving into today. We're going to see today that joy is, is not a response to something that's happening to us, but joy is the result of the presence of Jesus in our lives and focusing on him. In John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's, he's giving them, uh, actually as you, you, when you read through your Bible, it's multiple chapters of he's, he's essentially giving him his speech, he's giving him his parting words, he's giving his disciples his parting words, he's giving him all of his kind of final thoughts before he, he, he dies and then ascends in, into heaven dies and resurrected and, and sends, send, ascended into heaven. But in John, John chapter 15, Jesus says, something you need to know to his disciples is that I love you. 
He tells them that he loves them. And he says, I love you just like my father loves me. And he says, you need to remain in that thought. You need to remain in that understanding. In verse, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Live your life from that spot. Set up camp there in the knowledge that I love you just like my Father loves me. Stay there, live there, live your lives from there. To view yourself and your life from this point. To view everything that goes on in your life, the good and the bad, our triumphs and failures, the hurt and the success. Live your life out of a place of the presence of God and his love for us. And, and when we do that, Jesus tells us what this perception of life and its circumstances will do for us. He says, if you remain in my love, if you remain rooted in my love, he says in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And this is how we know that our joy isn't circumstantial. Because Jesus says, if you live life from this point, your joy is complete. It's finished. It's total. There's nothing more that can be added to it, and there's nothing that can be taken away from it, even in our circumstances. We would have complete joy. How, how do we have joy, full, complete, total joy, living our lives out of the love and the presence of Jesus? Is that the life you want? Complete and total joy? Isn't that the joy you want? I, I know it is for me. That I want to be able to live my life from that place. Because if our joy is complete, if it's total, then that means there's nothing that can rob us of our joy. It means there's nothing that can take it away. It's complete, and it's not based on anything other than the love of Jesus which is consistent. It's not just an emotion or a feeling we get based, or we get based on a set of circumstances, but it really becomes part of, of who we are. And today we're going to talk about how we can find this in our lives, how, how we can remain in him and have complete joy. Now, I want to talk to you about how we can find this kind of joy in our lives by, by turning to a story from the life of Jesus that seemingly has nothing to do with joy. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 17, if you'd like to, to follow along with this. But the story we're going to read, the word joy doesn't come up. It, it's not a theme in the story. It, it's not, uh, uh, the, the lesson to take away is, is not necessarily joy. But what it is going to paint for us and what we are going to see inside of it is a picture of what it means to remain in Jesus. And then we take the promise that Jesus made that if we remain in him, our joy will be complete. So we can turn to, to Luke 17, starting at verse 11. It says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. And in a loud voice called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
So Jesus is, is walking on his way. He's traveling from Galilee, where he, he, he lived and ministered for a large port, portion of his, his ministry. And he's traveling to Jerusalem. When he comes to a town uh, on the border between Galilee and Samaria, and we'll talk about Samaria and what that means in a, in a, couple, in a few minutes, but he comes across ten very sick men. Now, the ra- reality for these men is that they were, be- because of their disease... They were forced to live outside of, of society. They, they, they weren't quarantined for 14 days. They, they were kicked out of life. Everything about their lives, they were, they were kicked out of. They, they were highly contagious. And because of that, they were just removed from everyone else so that they couldn't infect anyone else. And so they, they were just sort of kicked out of town and said, you need to live out there and you figure it out. And when I say removed, I, I, when I say forced to live outside of society, I mean that. Everything in their lives is gone. Their family, gone. Friends, gone. They're no longer allowed to go to the market. You can no longer go to the temple. You can no longer see anyone who isn't a part of this community of sick people. See, your family's not allowed to come visit you. Because if they come and visit you, they've been exposed to you. And so you're not allowed to see them and they're not allowed to see you. Essentially, you were sent out of town to go infect each other and die. Functionally, when you were sent to live out there, you were dead. You didn't exist anymore. You weren't allowed to see anybody and nobody else was allowed to see you. You had to stay away. And if if someone actually came close to you, the one thing they did give you when you had to go live outside of town is a bell. So that if somebody was, uh, was unaware of where they were and wandered a little too close, you could ring this bell and shout, unclean, unclean, so that they knew they had to get away from you. But somehow these these men have heard of Jesus. Word of Jesus and what he's done has made it to their ears. And and they know that he's there. And they've heard he's coming to town. So, So from a distance, they shout to Jesus, asking Jesus to do something. In verse 14, when he when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this is probably one of the most interesting healings that Jesus ever performs. There's lots of weird ones, but this one is is different for for its own unique reasons. See, there isn't a moment of healing. There's not a moment where Jesus says, be healed. There's no, your faith has made you well kind of comment. We, We don't even know, in fact, when these guys are healed or what it looked like. Was it the moment Jesus spoke? As they walked to go see the priest, were they gradually healed? Was it when they spoke to the priest, in that moment were they healed? There isn't a moment of we're sick and now we're better. But as they obeyed the word of Jesus, they were healed. And I am so sure that these men were ecstatic, over the moon excited. Who wouldn't be? They, they were not necessarily physically raised from the dead, but they were about as close as you could come to that. They had literally been given their lives back 
they, they and everyone around them, everyone who knew them, everyone who was a part of their lives had been living as if they were dead. And now they've been handed their lives and their futures back. And they're happy. They're joyful. I mean, I'm sure they're jumping up and down. I'm, I'm sure they're wanting to, to run and see their family and friends and that they've not been allowed to see for who knows how long and see, see that they, they've been healed. They're no longer sick, that they could give them a hug. Maybe they just wanted to go to church, that they haven't been able to go to church for who knows how long. And that's such a core part of their culture. And they can actually go back to the temple for the first time in forever. But then there's this one guy. There's one other guy in the story here who as he's healed, he puts all of the other stuff on hold. He puts his family on hold. He puts going to the market on hold. He, he puts going to church on hold. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. See, this man knew who he was. He knew what he was. See, we touched on what it meant to be a leper. We touched on what it meant for him to be out of, of community. But this man was also a Samaritan. And the relationship that the Jewish people had at the time with the Samaritan people is very problematic and a difficult one. But the Jewish people, as a practice, had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Samaritans were, were seen by Jewish people as not real people, they were seen as a cross between people and animals. At their core, they weren't viewed as people. The Bible even tells us this in, in John 4, where, where Jesus will ask a Samaritan person for, for or a Samaritan woman for a drink. It will say this, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And the, the brackets part is in, in scripture. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They have nothing to do with them. It was, it was unheard of for Jesus to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink because she was a Samaritan. So this guy has two very big strikes against him. He was a Jew and he was sick. So he didn't need a, or sorry, he was a Samaritan and he was sick. And he didn't need a third strike. And this man knew all of this. And he had seen what Jesus had done for him. He had nothing, and he was less than nothing in his world. And yet Jesus, who, who really had no business even recognizing his existence, had done something so profound and so life-changing that for this man... Instead of, of seeing all that he could do now that he had been healed, he needed to go back and go worship Jesus, to remain with Jesus. And while this story doesn't contain the word joy, it doesn't talk about joy, it's not even a theme in the story, I believe this story gives us 
a picture of our recipe for joy. For the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us, for us to spiritually mature in joy. See, as a follower of Jesus, your joy is found in your gratitude. The Samaritan leper, before he returns his life back to normal, before he goes and finds his his family or goes and hugs his kids or whatever, he comes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and worships him. He is grateful for everything that Jesus has done. He had a moment where he stops and realizes that grace has happened to him. I didn't deserve this. I asked God to have mercy on me, and miracle of miracles, he did. Your joy is directly connected to your gratitude. See, often in our lives, we reverse that. And we think, well, if, if I'm joyful, then, then I'll be grateful. I'll be able to be grateful when I, when I feel joy. That gratefulness is the overflow of joy. But the truth is, joy is a byproduct of gratitude. When we choose gratitude, when we choose to be thankful, we see joy as a result. See, Jesus said, remain in my love and your joy will be complete. And we see here that this man recognized all that Jesus had done for him and fell down at the feet of Jesus. And the recipe is the same for us. Do you want to have more joy in your life? A joy that is complete. A joy that cannot be taken from you. Then we need to do what the man in this story did. And come back to the feet of Jesus. Fall down at his feet and worship him for all that he's done. Done for us. To remember that as much as perhaps life has gone on from, from our point where we came to our, had our come to Jesus moment. And a lot of time and distance maybe has happened since then. That as much as, the, as that man seemingly deserved nothing from Jesus. That you and I, that we deserved even less. My favorite verses to show this are from Titus chapter 3, where it says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We were not worthy of being saved. We did nothing to make that happen. And yet, we were. Not because of us, not, not because of the kindness, or, but because of the kindness and love of God, our Savior, because of his mercy. Jesus touched the untouchable. He loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. He welcomed the undesirable. Even now, Jesus saves the unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. 
Not because of the righteous things we had done. Not because we met him halfway. Not because we took the proper steps forward and elevated us to the place of the deserving. But because of his mercy. We are here because Jesus Christ didn't say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve. They brought this on themselves. Instead, he came down to us, lived with us, suffered for us, or suffered like us, and died for us. Now, how does the truth of that impact you today? Does that bring you to your knees at the feet of Jesus to worship him like the man did? Or is it just another part of life that got swallowed up in everything else? It's great. I'm so thankful for it. But, like the other nine men, undoubtedly grateful, but life has moved on. I've got other stuff I got to do. I got other appointments I got to make. It's great that Jesus did this for me, but I got it this. I got to do this. I got to be about this. See, I want to invite us to invite you, to invite me to pray with deep sincerity and passion and desire the words that David prayed in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, what it means for me to be saved. Bring me that joy back into my life. Your salvation is the moment where, where we can abide in God's love, where, where we can remain in God's love, and it's the moment when our joy is complete. Maybe this pandemic has taken its toll on you, and you're not even sure you remember what it's like to really, truly feel joy. Maybe your family or your relationships are so strained that it seems so dark for you right now. Maybe your finances have taken a huge hit as you were laid off or you were furloughed, or, or maybe it's just the fear of that happening that's weighed on you. Maybe you have lived in fear for your, or, or even with low-grade anxiety just about health and fear and worry about what if. Maybe you, you just haven't been able to get your feet underneath you financially and emotionally, and you just felt like you've been stumbling through the last 16 months because I just can't figure it out. God's intention for you and for me is that we would be a people of great joy, We've been given the greatest gift that the world has ever known in Jesus. New life, eternal redemption, an unhindered relationship with our creator are ours because of what Jesus did. But in order for you and me to receive the overflowing joy available to us, we have to choose to center ourselves around who Jesus is. We have to choose to center our emotions, actions, words, thoughts, and decisions around God's unceasing mercy and his steadfast love for us. The world tries to pull our hearts in every direction. 
stress, earthly pursuits, the constant pressure to to mark the hearts and the minds of so many. But the miracle of Jesus is that we can set our eyes on God himself. And we have an enemy that will, through distance and time, try to dim the surpassing love and the grace shown to us in the death of Jesus. And he will whisper to you, yeah, that's great. But what about this? It's great that that happened all that time ago. That's great that that happened so many years ago in your life. But really, what does it matter now when you're facing this? It's great and all, but... Overflowing joy is ours today in the Holy Spirit. Real, abundant life is available to you today. Jesus died for you. He was born for you. He gave his life on the cross. He gave his throne in heaven to take on flesh for you. May your life be filled with overflowing joy and ceaseless praise as we set our eyes on Jesus and what he's done for us. May the joy of your salvation become your most consistent reality. I could write a melody that all of heaven's choir sings. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, HillsideAirdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family, we go. At best, it all means nothing. With our love, it all means nothing. I can dine with the kings and queens My name go down in history But if I don't have love It means nothing So take the old and make me new Show me how to love like you Cause if I don't have love It means nothing If I can I can love my neighbor like I love myself. Yeah. Yeah. If I won't move when my brother cries out for help. Yeah. If I'm too proud to forgive before the sun goes down. Then this life that I'm living, what is it me now? At best it all means.